Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for church online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and, and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning, rest church. Man, was the spirit of the Lord up in this place. Amen. Um, give it a second, the fog will clear. I was thinking, I was looking up there during worship and I went, you know, it's going to be foggy when we start this message this morning. Um, welcome week three of our sermon series as we step verse by verse, word by word, through the book of Jonah. And today, um, I, I have to say, I, uh, I lucked out, you know, a few, few months back after I came back from sabbatical, I, I complained to you guys, I lamented that I felt like the pastor team set me up. And the fact that like I'd been gone for eight weeks and then I show up and they're like, oh, by the way, you're preaching the most controversial text in the whole book. Um, but today I feel like, man, I'm in the sweet spot of this first chapter. As you come to verse 17 and in case you haven't read ahead like some heathen child, um, Today's particular text is, um, it, it just jumps out. It screams Jesus, 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 all over the pages of this particular verse. And so this morning, as we, as we open God's word, I kind of want to recap where we've been, what we've been talking about, because maybe you're with us for the first time this morning. And if you are, thank you. I'm Pastor Cody. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rest, and we are delighted that you are here. As Pastor A.B. said to us two weeks ago, Jonah was a prophet, and he wasn't called to be a prophet in the moment that he was called to go to Nineveh, but he was a seasoned prophet. Say seasoned. I mean like the really good, like hot barbecue seasoning. He was seasoned, you know, like the, like the Boston butt I made the other day. Right, Johan? Yeah. Um, he had been faithfully serving the Lord for years. But one day God specifically calls him to a task. And, and that task was to go to modern day Syria to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian nation. And they were a brutal and ruthless people. Jonah knowing God's forgiving nature um, and having witnessed it in full effect um, with the wicked king of Israel, Jeroboam, in 2 Kings chapter 14, he had, uh, uh, Jonah had zero intention of going to Nineveh because he said in the back of his head, if God can forgive the wickedness of Israel, I know that that same loving and nurturing God is going to forgive the people of Nineveh 
if they repent. And he said, I have no desire to do that. The scriptures say that Jonah tried to escape the very presence of God. And he does this by trying to go to the edge of the known world, Tarsus. And and so we have the map here that we're going to pull up. But what we see is that Jonah, rather than just following God, going that, that from Joppa, that 550 miles, Jonah decides, nope, I want no part of that, and I'm going to go 2,500 miles across the continent of Europe to get to Tarshish. And what scholars believe is that um, it, Tarshish, in this moment, in this um, particular moment in time, the, 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 the gospel of Yahweh, or, or call it Yahweh, following him, had not reached Tarshish at this moment. And so what Jonah was trying to do was to completely escape all trappings, all portions of life that have to do with Yahweh, that have to do with temple worship and sacrifice. So Jonah is trying to literally run away from God. As Pastor A.B. said two weeks ago, because what we find is Jonah goes down and he boards a ship on his way to Tarshish. So he goes, he boards a ship in Joppa to go to Tarshish. And what Pastor A.B. said to us two weeks ago, whenever we want to run away from the presence of God, there will always be a boat to take us there. It was a profound quote. When we want to run away from the presence of God, like Jonah, there will always be a ferry or a boat or a vehicle, something to take us there. While on the ferry, Jonah goes into this deep sleep of the bow of the ship. Have you ever heard a story like this? He falls asleep deep in the boat. And a large storm pops up. So much of a large storm that the seasoned mariners who are on this boat begin to throw their luggage out to the side, as Pastor John talked about last week. But nothing they do is effective, and the things continue to deteriorate for them on the boat. Through casting of lots, they quickly find out who is the source of all their trouble as it lands on Jonah. And as it lands on Jonah, they're like, hey, man, what did you do to make this happen to us? And, and Jonah's like, hey, you know the God who created everything? Well, I'm running from him. You know, I'm running from him. And, and, and what the mariners don't understand in this moment is they don't understand the sovereign God that they are up against. That their little wooden boat out in the sea is so minuscule that it's not even a vapor in his reality. That God is so much bigger. And that God is prepared to break up this ship. Check this out. God is prepared to break up this ship, drown Jonah, and let these idol-worshiping Sailors perish all in response to Jonah's rebellion. When we say that our God is a jealous God, if this story doesn't get you to understand how jealous he actually is, I'm not sure what's going to wake you up. He is jealous for our affections. And specifically, he was jealous for the affections of the people of Nineveh, and he needed the prophet Jonah to fulfill that. As we see all throughout the scriptures, the Lord will make a storm, wreak havoc, um, um, wreak havoc and wreck our plans when we readily dismiss obedience to his command. 
But God will bring storms in our life to put us back on the path where we need to be. So this morning, I'm going to ask us to open up our Bibles, Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to read, we're going to take a step back into last week's text so that we have a little bit more context. We're going to start at verse 11 and we're going to go to verse 16. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? So this is after they've cast lots. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. So they can see dry land. They can see it. And so they're rowing as hard as they possibly can in an effort to save Jonah's life. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. As Pastor John pointed out last week, God uses this storm to bring these pagan men to salvation. And and they get to see the full display of the power of the sovereign God, Yahweh. And And this display brings them to a place of repentance. These men are, are, are in what looks like a hurricane, and in a moment, they take the body of Jonah, hurl him out of the water, and it becomes a pond on a farm. I want you to think about that. They're stuck in the middle of a hurricane. They take him, throw him out into the water, and the storm ceases, and the storm becomes calm. Even though that the shoreline was in sight, um, even though that as we see, the, the, the shoreline's over there and the guys try to row and they throw Jonah into the water, the water, even with the shoreline being in sight, is too much for Jonah. What happens to Jonah from this point forward is hotly debated among scholars. There's kind of three possibilities. I'm going to put all three up here for you. Number one, Jonah passes out from exhaustion. Number two, Jonah drowns, but not to the point of death. Number three, Jonah dies from drowning. No matter where you land in the debate, Jonah is no Michael Phelps chilling in the water. Okay, I mean, he didn't, just because he's a prophet doesn't mean that the moment he got in the water, he was like swimming, swimming, you know, like the breaststroke out to, you know, to get back to land. That, that's not the way that this works. When things happen to men of God, their abilities do not become superhuman abilities. They are still just as human as they were before. And so what we see here is that the water in some way, shape, or form, it consumes Jonah. As we see in verse 5 of chapter 2, in Jonah's prayer, we see that the water completely consumes him. Here it is. The water's closed in over me to take my life. This is the prayer of Jonah. 
The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. So what we see is Jonah is in a mess of trouble. Can we all agree with that? He gets thrown out in the water. He's in a mess of trouble. But the God who sent the storm was not out to kill Jonah, but instead to rescue Jonah from his running. I want you guys to hear that. The God who sent the storm was not out to kill Jonah, but he was out to rescue Jonah from his running. Because nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will, the required resources for Jonah's rescue was already waiting in the water. Because nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will, the resources necessary to rescue Jonah was already waiting in the water. Verse 17, our main text for this morning. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'm going to pause here. I want to pause because I want us to really grapple with this. Notice the scriptures does not declare the creature that captures Jonah. We, We don't see the creature that's there. If you're reading some old King Jimmy Bible, it might actually say, well. But the Greek does not declare anything more than a fish. I mean, for goodness sakes, it could have been a Mosasaurus. Right? Some genetically modified, as my, uh, as my sons like to tell me all the time, it's a hybrid dad. It was a hybrid fish. No, the, the scriptures don't tell us exactly what it was. In fact, what, what, what you find from scholars is there's actually in this particular sea, there's a few different species of, of animals or, or fish that could have swallowed a man whole in that particular instance. This verse is troubling for some people. They come to the scriptures and and, and they don't know what to do with it. How in the world can a fish swallow a man? And, And not only that, how can a fish swallow a man, but how can he stay alive for three days and three nights? And if and if you listen to scientists or if you get online, they're gonna tell you, no, that that can't happen. Do you believe this story is real, Pastor? Yes. Yes. Yes, I emphatically believe this story is real. In the scientific age, we've become thrown off to the point of this story and started saying something miraculous like this is not possible. Of course it's not! That's why it's a miracle! Miracles, by definition, are outside of normal nature. You think we can explain why terminal cancer patients can be healed? No, that's why doctors go, it's a miracle. There's reasons that miracles happen that we can't explain. And so I come to the scriptures and I go, how much is this any more significant than a man who has been beaten to the point that he is unrecognizable, as the scriptures say? That he could be stuck inside of a tomb 
for three days and three nights. And the equivalent, as we see in the New Testament, is Lazarus. And, and the old King Jimmy says that he stinketh. Right? I, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people, they don't stinketh that bad. But in all three cases, as we see with Jonah, as we see with Lazarus, and as we see with our Savior Jesus, they all are raised out of their situation. It's a miracle. Miracles are absolutely outside of the realm of nature. Having complete control over all things, God of could have used any sea creature he willed to swallow Jonah. In fact, David Platt says this, and I don't have the whole quote up here for you, but he says this, if the Bible had said, the Lord sent a shrimp to swallow Jonah, I would have believed it. You can argue with me repeatedly that there's no way a shrimp can eat a man or that a man can stay inside a shrimp for three days. If scripture had said, the Lord raised up a shrimp and it swallowed up Jonah, it would be true. God is a sovereign creator. He could create a shrimp way bigger than Jumbo that could swallow a manhole. But nobody could survive inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. That's just scientifically impossible. So we can't believe that. However, keep in mind what's going on here. Just a few verses earlier, Jonah has told the mariners that he is a prophet of the Lord God creator. Creator of the heavens, creator of the seas, and of the dry land, and ruler over all. More specifically, if the Lord could speak the world into existence with just a word... He could certainly call whatever creature he wants to assign to swallow Jonah and keep him safe from its stomach acid for three days and three nights. So do I believe that this story is real? Yes, 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 yes. So church, before we start to break apart, verse 17, I wanna pray. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. And we ask that God, that as your people in this room, as we come to encounter your word, that Lord, that you would wreak havoc on our lives to rescue us from ourselves. That God, that today you would bring us to repentance and that Lord, that you would bring us to a place of surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. If there's one thing that we're gonna see over and over and over as we continue on in our sermon series through the book of Jonah, it's this. God is sovereign over all things. That means he's in complete control. That means he is at the helm and he has not left the controls for one second. God is sovereign over all things. Amen, church? There is no, this particular story is no exception. God sends a fish to Jonah. 
Nevertheless, the issue is not whether the miracle could happen. Honestly, it's irregardless. Could this miracle happen? The issue is, is why does he need to be in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights? That is right there the crux of the question. It's not really about, hey, is the fish real or not? But why three days and three nights, church? Living in the New Testament age, it's clear God's sovereign will has so much more going on than just Jonah's rebellion and God's pursuit of the Assyrians living in Nineveh. There's so much more going on here. God is planning some 750 to 790 years in advance through the prophet Jonah's rebellion to display his approval of his son. Did you catch that? The significance of the three days and three nights has something, but not totally, to do with Jonah. It has something, but not totally, to do with the folks in Nineveh. But has every single thing to do with the approval of his son post-resurrection. It all points to Jesus. In fact, the New Testament, Jesus brings up this very thing in three of the four Gospels. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Okay, so set the stage here. These guys are like poking Jesus as if he's some show clown. Show us a trick. Show us a trick. Here's how Jesus responds. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet who church? For just as Jonah was in, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with his great generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Amen? There's so much going on here that we could spend another five hours unpacking. And I'm going to do my best to condense it down to two. And to make it understandable for you. I'm going to go back to Jonah. Then I'm going to go to Jesus. Then I'm going to go to Jonah and Jesus. And then I'm going to come back to Jonah. Did you catch that? I'm going to say it three more times fast. I'm going to go back to Jonah. Then I'm going to go to Jesus. Then I'm going to do a Jonah and Jesus thing. And then I'm going to go back to Jonah. Everybody ready? All right, so question number one. Why Nineveh? Why Nineveh? Why was he called there? in the greater framework of salvation. What is going on? We have this sovereign God who's in control over all things. He's planning 750, 790 years in advance. Why Nineveh? What does that have to do with Jesus? Remember, we're all pointing back to Jesus or forward to Jesus, so to speak. So why Nineveh? Why was Nineveh part of the greater framework of salvation. In the biblical account, Jonah is symbolic of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. 
those chosen by God to be witnesses to the world, but who repeatedly disobeyed God's commands. So there's a link between Jonah and the Pharisees. Jonah also represents Israel's rebellion against God, who nevertheless continues to show his mercy and his preservation, which is represented by the shade plant in chapter four that we're gonna see in a few weeks. God sends Jonah to the Assyrians for their repentance and not to the Israelites, which seems odd on the surface because Jonah is a prophet to Israel. But God chose one of Israel's greatest enemies, a people widely known at a time for their cruelty and harshness to prove a point to the Israelites. He intended to righteously shame Israel, to point out that a pagan city could repent after a stranger's preaching. And if they could repent, why could God's people not repent? What we see here is that Jonah, like the Pharisees, believes he is better than the people whom he's called to serve. We could make a case that Jonah's greatest sin is the sin of pride. And additionally, not just pride, but potentially racism. We could look in at Jonah and where he says, me a Jew better than you a Gentile. Me a Jew and my way of life following the sovereign God better than you as this heathen cult worshiping nation. And so Jonah rebuffs God's command to go serve God's creation. So now to Jesus. Jesus' ministry is flourishing in the countryside. As multitudes were repenting and being baptized and healed. But for the Pharisees, it was not enough evidence to suggest that he was actually the long-awaited Messiah. So when they come to Jesus here in, in Matthew chapter 12, they're asking for another sign. They're saying, we want more proof. We want more proof. Right? Like some mad mob about picketing Jesus' ministry moments. So when they come wishing for another sign, Jesus casts judgment on the Pharisees and he points backwards 750 years to Jonah. And he uses this moment to point towards his death as well. Let's read that again. But when he answered them, this is Jesus speaking. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the prophet of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then verse 41, check out this underlined part. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. Just as Jesus predicts that he will die and will be raised to life again, Jesus will be spit out of the earth just as Jonah was spit out of the mouth of the fish. Not only that, but Jesus calls out the wickedness of the Pharisees by saying that the men of Nineveh, a pagan generation, Gentiles who they abhorred, the Pharisees abhorred, they hated them. 
that those very men will rise up and cast judgment upon the Pharisees because of their lack of repentance. Make no mistake, church. As we look at Jonah, as he is also this example of the Pharisees, the religious leaders who believe they have it all together, they wear the best clothes, they have the best hair, not like mine, but they have the best hair. Make no mistake, God despises the pride of the religious. God despises the pride of the religious. See, because God sees all people as his creatures and his creation. God sees every hair on every head in this world as his. Therefore, he does not distinguish between black and brown, white and yellow. He doesn't distinguish between wide eyes and slant eyes. He doesn't distinguish between accents. He doesn't distinguish between tall, short, fat, skinny. No, he sees them all as his. And so at any moment when any religious leader who calls himself a follower of the way of Jesus Christ distinguishes himself and says, I am better and puts himself on a pedestal above any and all creation, God despises it. God despises the pride of the religious. So now let's look at this deep link between Jonah and Jesus and how that these two stories are intertwined. Jesus did perfectly what Jonah also, if temporarily, accomplished. Both were from Galilee. Jonah struggled with his call to preach. Jesus struggled to do the will of the Father as we see in Gethsemane. And both preached God's message of judgment and reconciliation to the marginalized and to sinners. Both ceased after sleeping through it. Jonah through repentance, Jesus through divinity. Jonah entered the jaws of the fish. Jesus entered the jaws of the grave. Both were kept for three days. Both were raised up again by the Father. Jonah's obedience and preaching led to conversion of a great city. Jesus' obedience led to the conversion of many cultures all throughout the world. In my opinion, this is why we cannot diminish or cast aside the validity of the story of Jonah. If we were to purely believe that this is an allegorical fable like Humpty Dumpty, I don't believe that Jesus would have mentioned it. I don't believe that Jesus would have used this story or would have said this as an example. This is, I am going to follow the sign of Jonah. I will give the sign of Jonah. Had it been purely allegorical, I don't believe Jesus would have been as definitive as he was. Now to Jonah for the finish. Jonah saw Nineveh as a dump. God saw an opportunity to love despite their past actions. 
Did you hear that? The man of God saw Nineveh as a dump. But Yahweh God, creator God, saw an opportunity to love despite their past actions. Jonah saw the storm as anger. But God was only stirring the sea so that he could bring Jonah back to his will. Jonah will mourn being eaten by a fish. But God rejoiced in his rescue. Too often we see the world through the eyes of Jonah and not the eyes of Christ. We are bitter with pride and so we say, God, I'm not going. I'm not going to follow what you're asking me to do. I will not be obedient to that. Don't you know, God? No. We're bitter about our circumstances. How many of you can honestly say in this moment, this space and time, that you are 100% content with your circumstances? We tend to be bitter about the place that we're in. I didn't get the promotion. Why didn't I get the promotion? Why did I get passed over again? How come I didn't get the job? I was the best candidate. I don't have the house that I want. We've worked so hard, yet we can't seemingly ever get ahead. All we've ever dreamed about is to have this house. Our life will be so much better if we have this house. If we have the yard. God, why am I not married yet? God, why haven't you brought the right person into my life? Or, or, or why can't you make him or her ask the question? God, don't you know I'm getting older? I, I want to have a family. Why, God, have you not sent them yet? Little do we know, sometimes, the things that consume us are actually God's rescue plan in our lives. Had God not sent the fish to swallow Jonah, he would have died in the depths of the sea. Rather, God in his sovereign grace sent the fish to rescue Jonah. Did, 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 you, did you catch that? It wasn't just about catching Jonah for his assignment, but he was saving him from death. The things that consume us are actually God's rescue plan in our lives, church. We begrudge the fish or the hardships we are swallowed up by, but little do we know God is using that fish to carry us away from even worse circumstances. We're over here going, God, why would you let me be in this place? And you don't realize God has built a wall around you. He's shielding you. He is protecting you from something even worse. Mom, 
God, why, why, did you, why did you let that happen to my family? Don't begrudge God for the vehicle he's carrying you in in this season. Because it could be so much worse. So what are you you bitter about with God today? What circumstance do you find yourself in today? Maybe you need to look at it, not from Jonah's perspective, but from Christ's perspective. Jonah said, I'm bitter about the fish, and God rejoiced over the rescue. Maybe the thing that you resent God for, or the thing that you resent about your life, is actually leading you down the road to rescue. You know, a few weeks back, I won't go into the story or the circumstances. Someone reached out to me. They were in a season of trial and struggle and really kind of wrestling with the Lord around it. And I referred them to Philippians chapter four, verse four, where Paul, Paul writes and he says to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. When you find yourself in a season of bitterness, when you find yourself like Jonah lamenting, God, why am I here? Why have you put me on this journey? I think Paul is saying to us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because it orients our heart appropriately to know that God is sovereign protector of us, that his sovereign grace is made perfect. And so this morning, I want to share with you a quote. Man, it's been wrecking my life. It's short, but it's profound. Whatever God takes, be still thankful what he leaves. Whatever God takes, be still thankful for what he leaves. We need to position our hearts to rejoice in every circumstance, even in the belly of a fish. Because to live is Christ. Paul, wrestling at the end of his life, he says that phrase. He says, I desire to die. I desire to go on to be with God. God, he was lamenting. He said, I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't can't wait to be in your presence. And he said, but to live is Christ. Meaning that there is work to always be done as long as we draw breath. So this morning, church, I challenge you to put on the glasses of Christ and to take off the lens of Jonah. 